Hello and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Jenna Clake. Her brand new book is Disturbance. And it's out right now. She's packed a lot into a tight 200 pages. You can hear about her two writing spaces and how that changes things. Also, how voice messaging herself plays a big part in her workday. And why she began with poetry. I had very narrow ideas of what what poetry could be um, and didn't really know anything about it. And then suddenly this whole world opened up um, and it felt really exciting. And I think what appealed to me is that I could tell a whole story in very few words or I could capture a, a snippet of a story in a few words and I think that really trained me how to be a writer like all the things I know about writing I know from being a poet and there is more with Jenna Clake in this week's writer's routine Yes, welcome along to the show. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day. My name's Dan Simpson. We see how they get things done. We see how they take an idea, how they plan their space, their day, their entire life and everything else that comes with that to give them the best chance of getting the words onto the page. And this week, we are supported by Plotter. This is your last chance to make the most of the brilliant plotter deal that we've got, the discount that they've given us while they are supporting the show. They can power your writing. Plotter is a writing tool that does what the title says. It plots, it helps you plan your books the way that you think, letting you outline faster, organise smarter, and it turbocharges your productivity. If you've got a short window to write, if you like things done in a particular way, this will help you out. It will curate the background for you. When you open it up, you get a digital corkboard. You can easily swap between the timeline, the outline, your notes, the details on your characters and places. You can even tag all of it to make it really easy for you to skim through and find what you need. It's colour-coded, as it might be in a notebook, but you don't need to worry about the notebook because this is all there with you on your screen if you're a very visual writer who likes to see everything that is going on whenever you want in the simplest possible way plotter does that for you it lets you track the details of your plot at a scene level and switch and swap and use them however you like it just helps you spend more time writing more time doing the important thing getting the words down and less time faffing about with the formatting of it, faffing about with notes that you might have kept all over the place. You've got no order. This will sort that out for you. The best way for you to see what it does and how helpful it can be is by getting to go.plotter.com and taking a look around. And while you're there, this is one of the last chances you have. You can get 10% off the software with this show by heading to go.plotter.com slash routine. This week's guest is Jenna Clake. She's published two poetry collections. Her first, Fortune Cookie, won many awards. She teaches creative writing and she's got a new book out. It's called Disturbance. It's all about a young woman who spots her teenage neighbour seemingly involved in an occultist ritual to banish an ex-boyfriend. Then she makes the bad decision to find out more and ends up falling in with this strange new witchy neighbour and her friend and realises she may have brought her boyfriend's presence back to haunt her. It's beautifully written, it's eerie, creepy, it's razor sharp. It explores the fallout of abuse with brilliant depth and clarity. We talk about her ideas for the story and where they came from. Also how poetry has affected what her writing was like, the words, and why after starting wanting to write novels, she actually ended up writing poems. 
You can hear about her different writing spaces and why changing her posture affects what she can create. And she's got some pretty strong font opinions and we like those around here. So let's get straight into it with Jenna Clake, starting off with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, there's two parts to this, uh, really, because I have an official study, um, which is um, very lovely, actually. Um, I have a desk that looks out the window. I have um, lots of bookshelves around me, which should inspire me. Um, But what I usually find myself doing is um, relocating myself entirely uh, to a really comfy chair or my sofa. Um, And lying down um, seems to be very conducive to writing for me. Um, So when I'm sort of sitting upright, I feel like I'm in work mode. Uh, But when I get into a more relaxed posture, I suddenly feel far more creative. And I think it's probably something to do with not putting that pressure on myself if I feel relaxed. Um, So having um, space to stare out the window seems um, pretty important, as does having a stack of books around me that I can flick through and get inspiration from or just distract myself uh, if I'm feeling stuck. So um, I suppose I have like two official writing spaces, um, but it seems that being as relaxed as possible is really important. What necessitates you then lying down do you try and start sitting upright in uh, like an office type environment uh, like a study and then move like what what forces the change um well to be honest when i first started writing fiction i found that um i was writing during the the pandemic and um i wasn't living where i'm currently living now but i was living in a very small flat that had um uh, a really small desk sort of cramped in a corner. Um, and that was in my living room, uh, which was also my kitchen. It was a really, really small flat. Um, and so I would find that I'd get up to write, but because I'd been working from home all that time, it felt like I was back at work. So um, I just started by experimenting, by thinking like, well, how, how would it be to um, to just write on the sofa and found that it really worked because I got physically into a different space um, to work. And so um, now when I carry on writing, I've sort of cut out the stage of like, trying to sit at my desk and feel writerly about it, I suppose. Um, and I'm just trying to be kind to myself, I suppose, in a way, and not put that pressure on myself. So I, I sort of just try and go for the sofa or the comfy chair straight away. Uh, is, is the, the sofa slash comfy chair, is that in kind of the, the study space where you've got I guess, some inspiration set up around you? Uh, no, I go to a completely different room. So this is, I, I've like heard other writers talking about where they write and I wish I was like this, but I sort of almost have to get myself into a completely neutral space. So um, I couldn't ever write in a library. Like that feels too much pressure. Whereas if I go down, so I normally go downstairs in my house now and go to my sofa. So I go to my living room, really. So it really does feel quite relaxed. Um, And I think that's really important for my process in some way. (laughs) I I chat to quite a lot of authors who 
take time to create and curate almost their perfect like writing space around them with uh, maybe a whiteboard and you know the books behind you the perfect desk how much do you think your uh, kind of knowledge of how you write best is lying down maybe on your sofa in a completely different space how, how will that affect like where you set up and what you put in a study space going on is it almost worth not really bothering having it yeah, in a way, almost. Um, but it's kind of, um, I suppose, in a practical way, it's really good to have that space for um, if you are recording videos or you know uh, doing your doing your promotion. You want to look like you're a real writer. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I I almost need to not have a room like there's obviously the Virginia Woolf uh, a room of one's own um and I I need the silence and the space but I don't know that I need I don't really believe in having a perfectly curated space because I think life doesn't necessarily allow me to have that perfectly curated space to write I need to be able to write in those like messy moments in between or an hour here or there, like I don't have that time to sort of sit in a curated space and make it beautiful. It just sort of needs to be very practical and pragmatic, I suppose. I, I'd get very worried about my posture, Jenna, if I'm honest, like, lie, like <laughs> lying down. Like, I mean, this is quite into it, but, uh, you know, have you taken any time to like care about orthopedic cushions or something that might, you know, help you out as you age a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to um, confront that as I get older, I suppose. Um, I do a lot of Pilates and things like that. So, um, you know, the the other thing to note as well is that I'm a short, fast writer. So I don't really, um, I won't be there for hours. I can't concentrate for that long. And I also have this thing of like getting out of the space of writing before my existential dread hits and kicks in. Um, So so, um, this is another thing I learned from writing is that if I try and spend hours and hours at it, I'm going to eventually feel good about it and then come full circle and feel really terrible about it because I'm going to have spent so long with it that I start thinking, oh, I'm terrible. I can't do this. Um, this isn't what I wanted it to be. All those sort of self-doubt things that kick in. So if I do a short burst of writing, I sort of feel excited and then I cut it short before it can get bad again. <laughs> and, and so I'm always coming to it feeling refreshed, but also then, yeah, um, probably saving myself years of um physiotherapy on my back uh, perhaps um <laughs> I, well I, I guess uh, I, i'm interested in again i speak to writers who might have post-it notes everywhere some way of keeping track of their plot and all the different threads that are going to it for you on the couch is it just a, a case of you and the laptop and everything you need is on there how do you sort that planning stage uh, carrying it through to writing yeah, so I'm a, a really um, visual person um, and I also use that sort of post-it note um, option. In my old flat, I had a massive sort of um, wall-length mirror that was perfect. I just covered that in sheets of paper and um, 
post-it notes and and sort of move those all around and and it helped a lot um at the moment i'm sort of using a cork board and um i love big notebooks so i get like massive notebooks and draw all in those and um plot and plan that way and then i sort of have those open around me as guidelines but i think uh, I'm not. I'm not a, a sort of meticulous plotter, although I'm trying to get better at, at doing that. But um, it's more about sort of having those as guidelines, so I know where I'm going, but allowing myself freedom as I'm writing. So yeah, then then I've got my laptop in front of me, um, and I've got these beats to follow. But I'm quite intrigued to see where it goes in the meantime. So having that notebook open and then closed if I decide to abandon it for a bit is quite helpful for that process. Uh, and just one more on the technical aspects. We're very interested in fonts around here, Jenna. I don't, uh, what, what, are, you, are you overly concerned? Do you have any strong held font opinions? Um, I'm a Garamond girl through and through. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know how I landed on Garamond, but I just like the way it looks. I like that it's um I like that it's quite small on the page. Um and I think um so I I started off writing as a poet. So writing poetry is a lot about blank space and like small smallness and um then thinking about how you use up a page. So I quite like Garamond because it helps me sort of think about how things look on a page and um, that idea of space is still around. So that that idea of potential is still around perhaps. Um, But yeah, I also just think it looks nice. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to touch actually quite a lot on on the poetry. I don't get too many authors who uh, who you know started writing poetry and then moved into novels quite like you have. Uh, it is when we think about poets, we often immediately bring to mind someone with a notebook under an oak tree on a fine summer's day. Uh, how how different is your set up and space when you're writing poetry is it a lot less of a kind of conscious thought through effort is it more as and when it strikes you um I think it's a bit more deliberate than sort of as and when it strikes me but it is definitely a bit more of an organic process in that um you can make a a lot from a poem with a few small observations or a few lines. Um, so my way of working is that um, I have a WhatsApp group that only has me on it. So I can sort of talk to myself in WhatsApp, um, um, which means either like uh, voice noting myself or jotting down lines or ideas as they come to me. Um, and so I think when I sit to write, uh, sit down to write a poem, it's, more deliberate because I um, I sort of do sit down at a desk. I get all those notes out in front of me, and I think, right, I'm I am now writing a poem. Um, but you know, as as with all writing, that comes with like redrafting it, scrapping it, editing it, um, reshaping it, time and time again. Um, but I feel, in a similar way to writing fiction, it's again about sort of having those. Um, short sharp bursts of writing time and like 20 minutes to half an hour is golden for me for a poem it doesn't need more than that the longer you spend on it at a time I think 
or for me personally anyway I just end up ruining it so again it's sort of about like giving it a bit of attention and then stepping away from it uh well I can tell you this I've done I don't know upwards of 270 of these now which I to a lot of different writers and very occasionally someone will throw a curveball at me uh uh, but you are the the first person I've ever spoken to that sends themselves whatsapps with ideas so that (laughs) is completely novel for me yeah I really recommend it um because basically I'm terrible at sort of carrying around a notebook because um you know all my best ideas come to me when I'm walking or when I'm driving uh, which is really not good for sort of needing to get a piece of paper and a pen out and, and write it down. So um, it allows me to sort of just talk things out loud or um, really quickly jot down an idea as I'm walking, um, obviously not texting and driving. Um, but that I found is really helpful to capture things because you always think, oh, I'll remember that and I'll write it down later. And you never do. So um, it's my number one tip um it's really changed my life <laughs> when someone sits down to write a novel there's a much more prescribed format that you have to fulfill a lot of the time uh maybe you're writing in a genre you know that you need to get down eighty thousand words they need to be chaptered the chapters need to be like this whatever it is one thing i'm very curious about with poetry is how much you know before you start writing it. So when you have an idea about uh, a theme that you want to touch on or something that's happened, an observation that you've made, when you start writing, do you have any idea as to how long it might be, what form the poetry might take? Um, I think I really let the poem itself decide without wanting to sound too pretentious about it. But um, I think it is really about having the space and openness to play. Um, And I think writing is a lot about play and figuring things out. Um, So I don't really like to come to the page with an exact idea of what it's going to be. Maybe I've got um, a couple of opening lines or... um, like an image I want to, I want things to center around. Um, but I sort of let the poem tell me, um, what do, what should its lines look like? Um, how should it sound? Um, how much space is it going to take up? And again, I'll tinker around with those things. It, it might not land that way. Um, but it really is about, I think for me, all the early stages of writing are about experimenting and playing and just seeing what works and what doesn't. How do you know when a poem is done? A great question. Poems are never done. You just abandon them. (laughs) If I am writing, I will get up quite early and um, ideally I will not look at my phone or any emails or anything like that because I... I'm very easily distracted. So it's about sort of getting into the zone of the novel or like into the world of the novel. Um, And then I will find my comfy writing spot um, and sit there and try. And so my, my sort of daily goal is about a thousand words. I try and do a thousand words a day if I can. Um, And it's mostly a process of sort of getting some words down, um, surrounding myself by these books that I will then um, 
sort of rifle through to to find out how other writers have done it uh, when I'm feeling particularly stuck. Um, and then I usually try and stop at around lunchtime, go for a bit of a walk, which usually helps me solve whatever problem I'm having. And then I might try and write for another hour or two after that. But really, like by that point, my brain has given up. <laughs> so then I'm kind to myself and I carry on reading for the rest of the day. And I think reading is a really big part of my process. I can't do it uh, if I'm not surrounded by other people's words and other people's um, ingenious ways of solving problems and doing things. It just makes everything clearer. Um, and then I do keep my phone, my trusty phone and WhatsApp group and um, a notebook next to my bed. Um, and that's sort of like a, a, an idealized image of a writer, I think, that you wake up in the middle of the night with this um, genius idea. But I've actually found that that's sort of not happening to me anymore. But maybe it's because I sort of have this more sort of... Um, design of getting into the to the mode in the morning so that I'm ready to write and then it's sort of like so I enter a trance and then get myself back out of it um by the end of the day the the, the morning thing I've been thinking a lot recently because I I am a morning person right um and I don't know if that's just something I've told and designed myself or if that's how I actually am meant to be. Like what made you figure out that you work best in the morning or perhaps how much of you kind of forced that issue? Um, I think um, I've always been a morning person, I would say, um, but probably was it, or it has been helped or sort of brought into being by the fact that um, I have a job with a long commute. Um, so I'm up, uh, if I'm going into work physically, I am up at half five in the morning and out the house by half six in the morning. So there's all that time uh, before anybody else is up um, to have that time to think or jot ideas down. Um, if I get to my office early, I might have a bit of time to do a bit of writing. Um, if I take the train, I have the whole time on the train to do some writing. And I think it's really about having that peaceful time where you feel like you're awake before everyone else. So the other responsibilities or things that are happening in the day can't encroach on you. Whereas I find, um, I also find I just, uh, by, by habit then, I'm tired by the, by the evening. I can't, um, I, I am really envious of people that, um, stay up in, into the early hours, um, having all this sort of creative energy, um, because mine definitely comes in the morning where I feel most hopeful, um, and, as, as least distracted as I can possibly be, I suppose. <sighs> yeah, I've, I've just been been thinking quite a lot about that recently. With um, oh, you you obviously you, you work, you teach creative writing, yeah. Um, what you've just described, I imagine, is an ideal writing day. When you were getting your debut down, disturbance. How much of those days were you able to dedicate to it without? you know having to break off to go to work here or work there or how, how did you fit that ideal plan around everything that was that happens yeah um i mean 
basically, um, I'm going to have a reckoning when when writing uh, uh, my second novel, which I'm sort of trying to embark upon now, um, because I wrote all of Disturbance pretty much during um, the COVID lockdowns. Um, so um, I was living on my own at the time and I really had nothing else to do outside of work. So it was sort of the perfect point to get writing because um, my weekends were suddenly really empty. Um, so while the weekdays were very, very, very busy, um, the weekend suddenly became just this blank space to fill. And so um, I wanted uh, to write and I wanted to do something for myself. Um, I would say that when you're working uh, or when I'm working, it's, it feels almost impossible to get that time. Um, so that is where where the commute feels really invaluable. Um, and, and also I think, you know, I... I am willing to get up early on a weekend um, to get my writing in um, because it just feels so vital to do that. And also, um, I don't know of any writer that hasn't made some sort of like sacrifice or um, concession to, to fit their writing around their lives somehow. When you first started to write on the commute, as you do, uh, and you would spend your whole time writing novels, at least, um, locked away in your house during lockdown, when you're able to lie down on your sofa and have creature comforts around you, how was that that process? How easy did you find it creating on, on, a, on a busy train or whatever it is? Um, I think I'm quite good once I'm in the zone at blocking other things out. Um, and I mean... I would say writing a novel is hard, right? <laughs> writing poems are hard. Writing no novels is hard. Um, but I found it a really joyful experience. Um, not not because it wasn't hard, but probably because it was hard. Um, I really like challenging myself. And, and part of um, wanting to try something other than poems was to challenge myself. I just wanted to see if I could do it, really. Um and so it was it's always felt like such a pleasure to have that time to think things through and create things. Um, and, you know, when you get it right, it's really exciting. And when you get it wrong, you feel frustrated at yourself. But you think, OK, we just keep on trying again. And so I suppose on that commute, it felt um, or when I'm commuting, it feels it feels um, like I've stolen a bit of time for myself. And I feel quite um gleeful about that in some way um and then you know uh even even when I am at home um and and writing it sort of still feels like a real achievement to keep on going with something um I'm I could quite easily I think if I let my existential dread kick in um give up but I sort of try and make myself come back to it time and time again and some some days, best laid plans go awry. And even though you've woken up early and you've got yourself on your favourite sofa, um, what do you do when the words just aren't coming out? What tricks have you learned that just helps you a little bit? 
Um, the number one thing I do is try and read something that is completely different to what I am trying to write. So um, you mentioned sort of, oh, I might um, have a specific genre to write in or some like specific um, beats I know I've got to hit. But if um, I'm finding that that just won't come, I try and read like some nonfiction or some some poems if I'm not writing poems or just something from a completely different genre or something really experimental just to sort of um, remind myself that there are so many possibilities and there are so many different ways to go about things Um, and then I also like to go for a walk um, because that usually helps me to subconsciously um, figure out a problem so I don't go on a walk with the um, express idea that it's going to help me fix problem a or problem b but more that um just having time away from a screen will usually like my brain will be percolating that idea and eventually it will come um out but i also um there's there's really a lot to say for just having a break from something um, setting it aside and then trying another day, um, having a bit of a break from it because the more I put myself under pressure, the less I can write, I think. So, um, these things take time is what I usually tell myself at some point. When I chat to writers, uh, you know, many of them say that they've always wanted to, to write a novel. They've always wanted to be an author. Why did you what, why did you start off writing poetry? What was it about that that kind of called to you? Um, so I'd got these romanticised ideas about being a writer from when I was a child. And I, I don't know why. I love reading, but I couldn't tell you necessarily why I wanted to be a writer. Um, but then I went to university to study creative writing. Um, and I, I really thought I'd be a novelist. Um, I'd got it in my head. I was going to be a novelist. And then um, I had an excellent tutor, uh, the poet Luke Kennard. Um, And I think he just really opened up to me what poetry could be. Um, I had very narrow ideas of what what poetry could be um, and didn't really know anything about it. And then suddenly this whole world opened up um, and it felt really exciting. And I think what appealed to me is that I could tell a whole story in very few words or I could capture a a snippet of a story in a few words and I think that really trained me how to be a writer like all the things I know about writing I know from being a poet Um, and it was sort of a a helpful way for for me to find my voice and find my point of view um, and to experiment and try try things and like actually learn how to write. <laughs> so um, I, I really love poetry. I still do. Um, but I feel like fiction and poetry offer very different things to me. They allow me to um, say different things and experiment in different ways. So it's been, it's felt quite necessary to have both of those um, and to be able to move between the two. Let me touch on a question just just about your your work teaching creative writing. Uh, how important is that for you as an author to be teaching it? How much are you learning while you are uh, like you know giving students these ideas? Um, 
I have learned so much from my students. They are really perceptive. Um, and um, I think teaching has been a really humbling experience as a writer because um, to be a good teacher, I feel I have to be honest with my students about the mistakes I've made and um, the sort of traps I've fallen into. Um, but also um, you can, I can often not really know what's going uh, wrong in the thing I'm writing. I can feel really frustrating, frustrated with it. And then um, in trying to explain to a student, well, this is how you plot or this is how you create a voice or um, what if, what if, what if, what if, um, suddenly I find that I've sort of been speaking to myself in some way or, or it, it opens up. Um, the problem I was having. Um, I think it's also really impossible to take your own advice, though. So um, often the feedback I get from my agent or my editor is something I would say to my to to one of my students, and I and then I sort of have to laugh at myself and think I do know this, but I just haven't applied it to myself yet. Um, but I think it's having that space to talk to people about books and why they love books and why they love writing um, only helps me feel more passionate about it as, as an endeavour and about teaching as, as part of being a writer, I suppose. We'll be back with more from Jenna in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, if you like what we do, the fact we bring you chats with the best authors around with incredibly interesting stories and completely different ways of doing things, as often as possible, pretty much every week. If you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you write and you plan your day, well, you can get involved in our Patreon page. That is the best way to help us keep going and to help bringing you these chats as often as we can. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine. By becoming a backer on there, you get merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And it goes an extraordinarily long way. I know things are really tight at the moment. Um, so anything that you can send over to us really, really does mean a lot. It helps us carry on. It helps me keep dedicating the time to bring you these chats with some fantastic authors. So if you can, I would really appreciate you getting involved and becoming a backer, pledging to support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back into it then with more from Jenna Clake, poet, creative writing tutor and now novelist. Her new book is Disturbance. It tells the story of a young girl's strange journey with a witchy friend that seems to bring back the presence of an ex-boyfriend. We talk about the characters, how she started unpacking them. Also, while having some success writing poems, she knew that this one needed to be a full novel. We talk about why it comes in at a tight 200 pages, why that was important to her, and we jump back into it, talking about the very first idea for Disturbance. I had this image in my head of um, a teenage girl sitting in her front garden um having broken up with her boyfriend and sort of crying um and and um being really sort of almost melodramatic about it um and i didn't really know what what to do with it um but i was like this seems interesting um and um i was playing around with having um, a narrator who was 
really isolated. Um, as I said, I was writing this or beginning to write this during the pandemic. So I knew a lot about being locked in a house and uh, with no one to speak to. So, so I wanted to write a novel that wasn't a pandemic novel, but was about loneliness and moving somewhere new and um, wanting to find some form of connection. Um, but where it really all kicked off is um, I the the flat I used to live in um, had above it one of those uh, party rental flats, which for most part wasn't a bother. Um, but during the pandemic, someone rented it um, for a sort of illegal rave. Um, and I stuck some earplugs in and went to bed and ignored it. Um, and then I woke up a couple of hours later to the police banging on my door. Um, and my bedroom had a balcony coming off it. And on the balcony were some men. <laughs> um, so by the time I got to my front door, um, the police had dragged people out of my next door neighbor's flat and were arresting them. Um, but for the, for the following weeks, I was really frightened about being in my flat. Like every tiny little noise sort of set me off. Um, and then, then that sort of unlocked this idea of living in a haunted flat um, and being sort of haunted by uh, trauma or um, maybe an actual presence. Um, and at the same time, my, my neighbours were really supportive and, and lovely and we sort of bonded over that horrible incident. So that started to set up an arc for me with this character I'd got. Um, and um, as a teenager, I'd absolutely loved Buffy and Charmed and The Craft um, and all those sort of witchy supernatural things. Um, and so suddenly I had these sort of three pieces that I could fit together um, to tell the story of a woman who starts dabbling in witchcraft, becomes slightly obsessed with her next door neighbour um, and lives in a haunted flat. <laughs> Uh, very quickly, what happened to the men that were trying to break into your flat? I um, have absolutely no idea um, because I was sort of so frightened. I didn't want to get involved with it. It was it was really um, horrible. But I think basically what had happened is my next door neighbours had called the police because the party was happening above them. And then when the police had arrived at that flat, they'd all jumped like shimmied down the drain pipe and jumped onto my balcony to try and escape I think um so I think some of them got arrested some didn't who knows um I just thought I was best not digging into that yeah <laughs> probably probably wise um so what happened next then so you have this idea you know that you want to play around with themes of loneliness and themes of witchcraft how much more thought did you give it how much more planning did you prepare before you started writing the first sentence? Um, I think I made a very big mistake in not planning more <laughs> because I sort of was trying to apply um, being a poet to being a novelist. Um, so my way, as I said before, with being a poet is, you know, oh, I just explore on the page. I see what happens. Um, and I quickly ran into problems of, you know, having more subplots than actual plot Um and so I went back to the drawing book. I think I probably got like 20,000 words down and then realized I don't know where this is going. Um, 
so then I went back and started plotting it um, more deliberately. And there's sort of two timelines running through the book. There's the narrator's memories of her abusive relationship. And she sort of charts that um, from start to finish. And then um, over that is the sort of present of the novel where she um, becomes friends with her next door neighbor and um, starts dabbling in witchcraft. Um, so I sort of went back and charted that relationship first. I thought, well, what's the sort of emotional undercurrent of the novel? What's what's driving this narrator? And then once I'd got that in place, it was so much more easy to slot in what would happen in the present, what, what sort of um, – what the memories would spark in her, um, how that would make her behave, how what was happening in the present would relate to a memory and make her behave in a certain way. Um, so once I'd got that figured out, it was a lot easier to write it. Um, so now I'm trying to become a bit more of a of an organised plotter um, because I think knowing where you're going makes everything a bit easier um, and stops me from falling into yeah just writing a novel of subplots with no real um, substance <laughs> well talking about the emotion um the book has been praised for uh, emotional depth and for the clarity with which you explore that when you came back to it the, well when you yeah had to reassess about thirty thousand words in um what kind of questions were you asking how were you getting to know that the, these characters like emotional past what were you doing to mine that yeah um I think it was sort of like imagining that I was interviewing each of them in a way um so there's two teenage girls um in the narrative and one is Chelsea who is the narrator's next door neighbor and then there's Chelsea's best friend Jess so Chelsea was quite easy to figure out in a way because her emotional landscape is quite similar to the narrator's. Um, she's going through a sort of breakup, though hers is more on-off than the narrator's is. Um, and she's um, dealing with wanting to be an adult, but her parents won't quite let her be an adult yet. And she's about to go off to university. So she's got all the pressure of that on her. And I could, rem you know, I could remember being Chelsea's age and thinking about exams and university and things. So that was quite easy to access. Jess, um, her friend, was um, a, a bit more difficult, really. And I had to spend quite a lot of time um, sitting with Jess as a character and sort of trying to get into her head, thinking about well, what is motivating her, because I didn't want her to just be this sort of sidekick to um Chelsea and I think part of making Jess um come to life was allowing her to be quite like nefarious in a way and allowing her to have these um not always generous and thoughtful motivations um and I think the same with the narrator too um each time I sort of sat down with them it was about how do I make these people, people you want to read about at the same time as they might not be very nice people or they might not always do the right thing? Um, and I found that quite 
a difficult thing to navigate sometimes because um, the narrator is um, a victim of domestic abuse, but at the same time, she does things that are wrong uh, and not necessarily meaning that um, she does things that deserve the abuse, but that she reacts in the very, in very wrong ways to her present situation um, and her trauma sort of thwarts a lot of her development and problem solving. Um, so it was really sitting down with each character and trying to be um, empathetic to them at the same time as allowing them to be quite messy uh, was was sort of how I ended up rounding them out, I think. You say that you, uh, you really wanted to be a writer when you were young, then you got into poetry. Why did this become a novel? Was it a conscious decision that you thought, right, I am going to write a novel now? Or were you just exploring themes that were perhaps or needed more fleshing out and more space than a poem could provide? Yeah, I was um, very deliberate that this was going to be a novel. Um mainly because uh, I'd always thought I'd end up writing a novel, um, but then I put it off for years and years. Uh, mostly, I think, because I was afraid to start. Um, once you, once I got into sort of my wheelhouse in poetry, um, I felt very happy there. Um, but I thought, well, if I'm ever going to do anything different as a writer, I possibly need to change form now. Um, so I just want, firstly, I wanted to see if I could write a novel, but then as soon as I started unpacking what was happening with these characters, it, it became clear to me that it couldn't be, um, a sequence of poems, um, and it couldn't, it couldn't be, um, it couldn't be like a, a mini narrative about something. I wanted to have the space to unpack everything that was happening with these characters the prose in it is like at, at, at the same time uh floral is the wrong word but literary is what i mean the prose in it is literary but at the same time quite tight uh which is reminiscent of poetry like how much did your experience of writing poems influence the style that you used when moving into a full novel um, absolutely. Like I don't, I don't think I can divorce those two things. Um, and I think um, that's my voice, and I'd want, I want to bring that to my fiction. But I think what was also important to me in writing Disturbance is that I wanted it to feel like a punch, um, and I wanted it to be this book you could sort of inhale um, and get really absorbed in. And to me, having that sort of tightness of of the prose was really important to that. I wanted the book to have a pace um, and to have a sort of breathless tension to it in a way. Um, and I wanted it to feel like it was this dream or nightmare that the narrator was inhabiting as well. Um, you know, the, the, the novel sort of deals with um, ideas of whether what she's experiencing is real or not and how, to what extent she believes what she's experiencing is real or not. And so making it a bit more lyrical um, and poetic helped me sort of create that sense of mystery around it. Well, you, you say, you know, you wanted it to be fast and pacey and breathless. It's a tight book, right? 200 pages. Um, how much? How much of a conscious effort was that that you started off knowing that you 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 wanted to keep it quite together? 
Um, I think that was um, that came out quite quickly for me, um, especially because um, in writing the memories of the narrator's abuse, I didn't want it to become gratuitous. Um, and those scenes are there to sort of explain what she's doing in the present, but I didn't want a whole novel of that. Um, on one hand, I thought, you know, that's a lot to put a reader through. Um, but two, I didn't really know what what sort of delving into that in, in lots and lots and lots of detail would do that delving into it sparingly couldn't do. Um, so quite early on, I realised um, this is going to feel nightmarish and um, and sort of gripping um, if it's if it's a very sort of quick novel. Um, but also, it sort of works with the setting. It's set over a summer just before um, Chelsea and Jess are due to go off to university. So I thought, well, that's that's quite good. I've basically got like six weeks. Of someone's life to play with um, rather than a novel that takes a year or months um, so, so all those things sort of work together to make it feel that way That is it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine, thank you so much to Jenna Clay for coming on the show, that new book is Disturbance and it's out right now Next week we are with Nick Bradley The Cat and the City, his debut, was a BBC Radio 2 book club pick. He's got a new novel out. It's called Four Seasons in Japan. He'll be on to talk about it uh, next week on the show. In the meantime, make the most of that plotter deal while you still can. 10% off their brilliant software. Get to go.plotter without the E. Go.plotter.com slash routine. You can get in touch using the contact page at writersroutine.com and you can pledge to support us for however long you like, for however much you like, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. And I will see you next week with Nick Bradley on the show. Until then, bye. Bye.